Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Dobry večer and welcome to the Bohemian Podcast with Pete Coleman and Travis Dow. Good evening from Prague and welcome to the Bohemian Podcast. I'm Pete Coleman. And I'm Travis Dow from the History of Alchemy Podcast. The Prague Spring is our topic tonight and it, we want to actually center on the face of the Prague Spring Revolution. And that would be Jan Pollock. We're going to start with him tonight and then we'll kind of work our way into the reasons and actions of the Prague Spring and the consequences that came from this very important uh, moment in Czech history. Jan Pollock, born in 1948 and died in 1969, January 19th, was a student of history and political economic science at Charles University. He committed suicide by self-immolation as a political protest against the 1968 invasion of the Czechoslovakia by the Warsaw Pact. Self-immolation, Travis, is burning oneself to death. Oh, thanks for the definition. Absolutely, just yeah. in case you didn't know that. But it's, it actually is done from time to time as a uh, very headline-making uh, act of, of, of potentially suicide to try to get uh, one's political cause to the forefront on, on maybe media circles. But this, this was actually one of the times in Europe and across the world that people did pay attention to uh, this self-immolation by Jan Pollock. The place where he uh, set himself afire was actually right in front of the National Museum on Winchester Square. Uh, where you see St. Winchester on a horse, you'll see the, the uh, memorial to Jan Pollock right there. The rest of his, his, his death mask, his shoes, the ID, student IDs that he had in his wallet that were saved from the fire, that is actually on display at uh, Vidkoff Hill. There's actually a museum up there that has all his belongings. So there are a few places that, that uh, keep his memory in place. But the reason why we wanted to start with this is because this act was successful. In the end, uh, this ushered in the, the, the communist rule for 20 years later. You wouldn't think it was successful, but it set the seeds for future uh, future revolution that we'll, we'll basically be talking about by 1989 called the Velvet Revolution. Mm-hmm. He actually, I would say, I think we could say this, was the maybe the grandfather of that movement in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, so to back things up, let's, let's take a look about why the Warsaw Pact invaded Czechoslovakia at the time and, and what was the political discord 
that was that the Czechoslovakian Czechoslovakian people had. Yeah. So on the fifth of January, again nineteen sixty eight, until around the the twenty first of August, Alexander Dubček, so he was elected first secretary of the Communist Party, and he immediately started enacting reforms. So these Prague Spring reforms, as they were then known as, or what we call them now, this was kind of socialism with a face. This would have granted like additional rights, um, so kind of decentralizing the economy, so kind of unnationalizing un things and privatizing things. And it had, a, there was a couple of moves towards democratization. In the late 50s and early 60s, de-Stalinization took longer in other socialist countries. So in, in Prague that happened pretty quickly. And the Soviet economical model fit less in Czechoslovakia. So, again, I mean, communism, just the the economical model of, you know, communism and and a planned economy and these things, just worked better in other countries. But in Czechoslovakia, it was really an industrialized country before World War II, and much more so than other Eastern countries. So the model was really more based on kind of an agrarian, more you know, rural less industrial economy. And so um, Czechoslovakia just, you know, didn't have, it just didn't fit as nicely. So when these reforms were, were suggested, they were actually pretty radical compared to, you know, other, other Warsaw Pact countries. And uh, perhaps somewhat ironically, Czechoslovakia, their, their kind of theory was is that because Czechoslovakia was so staunchly communist, they believed that, okay, socialism has won, We've, you know, we're, we're, we're done. We're clearly communist. And so now it's time to relax the restrictions. We're no longer in revolutionary mode. We've, you know, we're not fighting the evil capitalists anymore. That's well, done. We're ready to play so, ball. Right. Yeah. So that's, you know, they, that's why they call it like socialism with a face. They were ready to start to humanize it a little bit and, and you know, kind of give people back their freedoms. Now, if I make this quick point, too, uh, <laughs> I, I think I mentioned before in the podcast, I am married to a Czech woman. And... Uh, at times, a communist? It, no, not a communist. But I'll I'll tell you this that that she's listened to the podcast before, and I'm sure some of our listeners have listened to this, especially if they have a, a connection to the Czech people. Um, you might just think, boy, you guys are way off base. Again, here's a disclaimer, folks: we're two American expats coming into this, and we're we're living here. We're we're trying to soak as much of this in as possible, so we can you know give you an idea about what it's like to live here uh, for a variety of, of of things, from culture to to history to you name it. And I, I find it funny that she, she, come, she talks to me about this and says, you know, you missed the point. You know, I, you know my family lived this. You, you're kind of going through it like it's like, it's like a his, history lesson. You're missing the point about what, what people really believed. You know, um, and that's, I think, you, like you said, Travis, there was a lot of people here that bought into this system and said, okay, this is the best we're going to get. Let's just do the best we can with this socialism of the face. And then there are other people, like uh, on the other side of the country near Moravia, that you know the communists came in. I'm thinking of Batya's shoes, by the way, the Batya factory. Yeah. Come into the, the the little town of Zlin, basically was doing great as as their own company before the war and, and all these other things. And then now they're taking over, and the communists come in and basically socialize the whole situation and almost destroy the company. You know, so there's a lot of people there that don't really buy into this socialism with a the face. They say this is a broken system. We want no part of this, but they're going to have to play ball. Yeah, because I, I think that when we say that they were staunchly communist, 
that was probably the government's perception. Yeah, that, that's the point I'm trying to make. Right. I'm, 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 Be because I'm of my all, wife will tell me, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. No, but She'll because, say, of, because of all the censorship <laughs> and all the, you know, the lack of freedom of speech and all that, the government didn't, I mean, they didn't know what the undercurrent of, of the people's thoughts were. So they just said, okay, everyone's, everyone's playing along. Uh, so I guess we won. So let me give you some examples of, of some of these uh, relaxa relaxations of the restrictions, right? So, um, for instance, some of the things that were proposed were um, loosening of restrictions on the media, like speech and travel, that, that kind of thing. And some suggested even going so far as to saying no more censorship at all, okay? Freedom of the press, uh, which, you know, you don't have many communist countries that have that kind of thing. A market economy, or at least uh, one thing that was on the table was like a mixed or like a mix between planned market economy. Um, another one was a federation of two republics. Th this eventually did happen, actually, um, between the Czech Republic and the Slovak Republic. So instead of a centralized government in Prague, that it was kind of a federation between the two. That did end up happening. Um, and then they wanted to improve diplomatic relations with Western countries, which was, you know, blasphemy for the Soviet Union. But um, And then they were even toying with the idea of a multi-party system. So clearly, we're talking in a narrow spectrum between social democrats and staunch communists, but but all uh, you know, but a multi-party system nonetheless, right? You saw this happening with social democrats in Sweden, uh, trying to again put a socialist spin a, uh, on a on a party on a multi-party system. Uh, that, uh, uh, but we saw also in Sweden that basically you're gonna have one party gonna call the shots for almost 40 years. Yeah, so yeah, it was the tip of the hat to say we're gonna have a couple parties, maybe. But we also know who's going to win the elections. So, yeah. Which I, which flavor of red would you like? Exactly, you know? pinkish red or red yeah, red. Exactly. So I, I think yeah, I think that these are I think probably things that people in Czech Republic said, if we're not going to get what what we I think we want, which would be more freedom and less control from Moscow, then this is probably the next best thing, right? Yeah, and and we okay. So there's a couple of interesting parallels between this and Gorbachev's reforms, and and some say, I mean, I've read that Gorbachev took some inspiration from Dubček's reforms in the 80s in the Soviet Union. Um, and it had the same result, which is that even just the suggestion of these reforms, so before they even got put into law, it just suddenly ushered in this flourishing of free press and literature, okay? And what did they, this free press and literature write about? They criticized the government, right? Right. So they were really suddenly everyone was testing the boundaries of what the freedom, you know, how much freedom do we really have? And um, you know, again, we could probably spend a whole podcast on the effects of the actual Prague Spring because of the the, the actual flourishing of flourishing of magazines and and you know all these different literature that suddenly popped out of nowhere. I mean, you know, it was also, you know, this was the 60s, right? So, I mean, you know, this was that time when, when there's just all kinds of different thoughts going on. And, and a lot did happen in that very short time, like just that nine months of the Prague Spring or however long it was. Um, again, it could be, we could do a whole podcast on just the stuff that came out of this. But at some point, Moscow obviously saw what was happening, didn't like it, and decided to put the kibosh on this. Very right? quickly so. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they even any suggestions of reforms that would usher in these, you know, new press and literature bound, you know, boundaries. We're going to tear some of those walls down. That you're going to be able to to say and and print things that you want to say. Um, just allowed a little bit of freedom to come through. And you know, I in our personal viewpoint, when you when you give people a little bit of freedom, it's a hard thing to go back and and take it away. 
I think yeah. you lay those seeds, they're there. Yeah. And, and so I think the, the Czech, Czech government people, couldn't just absolutely take they, it. Yeah. They let oh, the wolf sorry, in the hen house. Just kidding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. And once that happens, uh, I think the die is cast. I think you're right. As we move forward in our podcast tonight, you're going to see or hear rather that that the um, uh, the seeds that were laid in the Prague Spring, even though it was considered a, a defeat for the Czech people in a lot of ways. Um, it laid grounds for people to fight harder. Václav Havel, the president of the Czech Republic, came from this era, uh, as, yeah. as well as to, to the, the people that, that put together Charter 77 that talked about their rights in another 10 years from this point. So there are a lot of things that were laid, uh, to, that were laid down to grow later on that eventually led to the Velvet Revolution of 1989. We could spend a whole podcast talking about that. We're going to try to I encapsulate a lot about this, about what it was like to live in the late 1960s in, in, in Czechoslovakia. But keep in mind, you're right, Travis, Moscow was not a fan of this, and uh, they needed to do something quickly. So on March 23rd, uh, a meeting in Dresden in East Germany, the leaders of the Warsaw Five, that would be the USSR, Hungary, Poland, Bulgaria, and East Germany, questioned a Czechoslovak delegation over the planned reform, suggesting any talks of democratization would be a veiled critique of their policies. Mm-hmm. They were kind of right, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah. <laughs> so this meeting was probably not a not a very uh, polite meeting. Uh, I would imagine there probably was a, it was a lot oh, of probably uh, like an interrogation almost. Yeah, I would say more absolutely. of an interrogation. You know, mm-hmm. so um, the, everything pretty much broke down around this. And the night of uh, the the twentieth to twenty first of August, nineteen sixty eight, Eastern Bloc armies from the Warsaw Pact countries, the Soviet Union, Bulgaria, Poland, especially Poland, uh, and Hungarian troops invaded. Czechoslovakia. Mm-hmm. All right. Now I want you. I want you to think about this. You're talking tanks. You're talking military convoys. You're talking soldiers. All all Poles basically. Some Hungarians. We talked to some Bulgarians. Um, for the most part, Travis. What it, when we talk about these things? Are are these people so foreign to Czech to, to Czech citizens, or were they people that you could easily talk to? You, you know, oh, no, they could talk to them. I, yeah. Well, like a, you know, just from living here for a couple of years, I've heard a couple of stories. And uh, one of them, like this is, uh, I think, when I had my driver's ed to get my Czech license. So, you know, we're, we're driving around in the car, and the guy was, was talking to me about this, and, and he said that his father was a soldier. Just to give one example, I mean, there's so many stories out there, but, but so on this night, uh, so his father was a soldier, and he was on patrol near the border, one of the Czech borders somewhere, and he came across a Russian, uh, you know, one of the Russian prongs of the invasion. And they're coming up to him, and, you know, he's like, I mean, it was a shock, right? So the Czechs didn't know about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Not, not even their, their own army didn't know about it. And so they, came, you know, they came across this patrol, and he's like, what are you guys doing here? You know, this is a, we're a sovereign nation. You know, what, what are you doing? And, you know, it's two different soldiers talking to each other. And the Russians are like, don't worry. We're here to help you. We're your friends. Help me from what? Exactly. That's <laughs> yeah. basically how the conversation went. So no, I mean they're both. You know, everyone spoke Russian. Right. You know. You know. So he's just like. I mean, he just didn't. He didn't understand the situation. He didn't know what to even think. If he was being like, invaded. Are we, yeah. are we being invaded? Like, are the Germans invading us again? Are the Russians here to help us with that? Like, what's going on? Okay. And another story. This is told to me by by my Czech teacher actually. Is that um, many things could have gone very differently. Uh, with this with this invasion, except that they made the mistake of, uh, like we just mentioned, that they used East German troops. Right. And, you know, Hungarians and Poles and, and, and Russians are one thing, but this is still living memory of World War II. And to have German troops, even if they're communist ones, to have German troops back into Czech soil was just unthinkable. 
And I think even some starch communists, um, this is the day when they changed their mind on this kind of thing because they realized, hey, the Soviet Union is sending German troops back into Czechoslovakia. I mean, how nearsighted and stupid are you to make a huge mistake like this? So they made, like, they no, made, no, 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 they're your socialist brothers. Right, they made a plan no. to make sure that the Poles and the Hungarians were coming in on these tanks. But this plan actually backfired because here are these Poles riding these tank drivers and you got civilians coming up to you saying, what are you doing? And they're like, uh, we're here to help, you know? Yeah. And, and, and there was a lot of fraternization going on right there in the streets. Right. You know, so it, it kind of blew, it kind of backfired a little bit uh, on the on the Soviet concept of, of using uh, neighbors to invade Czechoslovakia. But going back to that night, some two th 200,000 troops and 2,000 tanks entered the country. They first occupied Ruzny Air, uh, International Airport, which is now Václav Havel Airport, mm -hmm. uh, just a little while, just a little bit outside the city, uh, where the air deployments uh, and troops were all arranged for the invasion of the city. Uh, Czechoslovak forces were, con were confined to their barracks, so they must have known at some point something's going down, right? Uh, they were surrounded at the threat of a counterattack, so they, they, they basically were, you know... Locked down. They were on I lockdown. Mean, yeah. There was no way they were going to be able to help, you know, stem the tide of it, this invasion force coming in if they wanted to. Travis, like you said, I think they were probably caught by surprise. They were just confused. Confused, not I mean, knowing what was going like, on. Is there a war, war going on? <laughs> Why are you here? You know? Exactly. I mean, yeah. uh, by the morning of the 21st of August, Czechoslovakia was already occupied. Now, I'll tell you a viewpoint from my, my in-laws that told me this that people didn't know any of this stuff going on in the middle of the night. They were going to work in Prague just like any other day. Right. And they get there in the morning on the 21st, going to work, and they see these tanks coming down, um, you know, coming down to Nemestimaro, uh, right down the street, uh, or uh, yeah. Wilson, where Wilsonova kind of comes in right now, too, near, near the National, um, National Museum. And if you can imagine, these, these tanks aren't uh, quiet. There's a rumble that you feel. As people, people are standing with their coffee in their hands, you know, are the lunch pails going to work? And they're not like, what is going on here? Yeah. All of a sudden through the radio, all is fine. All is well. We're here to help. Mm -hmm. You know, and all is calm. All is calm. It kind of reminds me of a podcast we talked about before about when the Nazis were invading. You know, they came in as friendly helpers as well yeah. in, in, right before World War II. And so I can imagine this memory is instilled in, in, in just in the back of people's minds. Um, so crowds started gathering in, in this morning, to, uh, circling mm -hmm. these tanks, you know, uh, thinking, okay, well, what are we going to do? Keep in mind, there, there was only a few people that were killed. I won't say a few. I don't know if I have the number for that. But there were some shots fired. Yeah, well, there was, sh yeah, shots fired at the National Museum. And the bullet holes, they were still there when I moved here. I think they just now are covering them over I, uh, they, they, almost they do as have we a, speak. I think there's, there's actually a little monument to, to those, or not a monument, yeah. but a plaque. You're right. Uh, but if you ever come to Prague... Oh, but you could see the bullet holes. Yeah, you can, same thing I in mean, Hungary. I mean, yeah. you, they, they actually keep them in the walls in, in, in Budapest uh, as a remembrance of, of revolutionary yeah. issues. But if you ever come to Prague and you go to the top of the hill of Wenceslas Square, you'll see this really impressive, beautiful building. It's the National Museum. It's always been the National Museum, I believe. But it looks like a parliamentary building. <laughs> you know, it really looks like that's where... You, and that, that's what I think that the Warsaw Pact tanks were looking at thinking, yeah. oh, we're going to shoot at the parliament. I, it was next door. Uh, yeah, and I... <laughs> it, it wasn't I quite there. There was a pretense that there was some some rebels kind of hiding in there or something. I mean, they had some pretense to, to shoot at it. Because, again, you know, it's just one more political... Like, really bad, bad political... Bad call. Yeah. yeah. I mean, eh. So the, all the road signs were uh, in the towns were removed or painted over, except for those indicating the way to Moscow. 
Many small villages renamed themselves Dubček or Soboda. Thus, without any navigational equipment, the invaders were often confused. So this wasn't a little, probably... A little bit of resistance going on. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. I kind of I like that about the Czechs. They kind of yeah. you know, make, make it harder for you to be taken over, absolutely. The invasion, however, did did happen, and uh, was followed with a with a previously unseen wave of immigration, which was stopped shortly uh, thereafter. Uh, an estimated seventy thousand fled immediately, uh, with an eventual total of about three hundred thousand. So yep. again, something's going down. I'm not sticking around to see what happens. I'm out of here. That's like at the time that was like what all between five and ten percent of the population. To put that in perspective. Yeah. Huge number. Yeah. yeah. So, Travis, what happened in, in Moscow at this point? What was the reaction at the first few hours of the invasion? Yeah. So, uh, on 25th of August, so, you know, about four days later after this, citizens in the Soviet Union who did not approve of this invasion, uh, there was kind of a protest in Red Square. Uh, eight protesters actually opened banners with anti-invasion slogans, and the demonstrators were arrested and later punished. The protest was dubbed anti-Soviet, you know, obviously. And, but not just, I mean, that's within the Soviet Union, but obviously many other countries spoke out against the occupation, um, but also including communist countries. So it wasn't just, I mean, all Western countries basically spoke out again, uh, against it, but even some communist countries realized what was happening, I mean, realized the meaning of, and the symbolism involved in, you know, uh, using German troops to <laughs> march through Prague again. And even communist countries said, you know, this is, this is going too far. Um, Moscow, of course, called it a fraternal assistance to a socialist country who was having democratic troubles. That sounds so right? nice and, and tidy, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. nice uh, little diplomatic speech there. Okay, so the aftermath comes in the form of this, that reforms were quickly undone. No more of this, this the communism or the socialism with the, with the face. That's going to be completely revoked, and the country was re-centralized once again. And Dubček was uh, booted out of office, all right? Yeah. So... Um, I'll mention that Gorbachev, we talked about, you mentioned a little bit that Gorbachev later had called Dubček uh, an inspiration for socialism with a human face. And I think that might have inspired, um, you know, Gorbachev later in the 1980s to say maybe there's a chance for reform uh, that we can change the system so that, there, so that people might have more rights and more freedoms mm -hmm. without a, a bad ending like happened in, 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 uh, in Prague in 1968. Uh, the country was was normalized. That's now, what does quotes, that mean? That's, yeah, I can use air quotes. Yeah. Is normalized and even more uh, with heavy heavier censorship than before. I, this is the time when you had underground movement in 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 Prague and maybe a few other places. It wasn't it wasn't obvious, but it, this, these were again the seeds of discontent that were going to have to flourish for the another, another 10, 20 years before mm -hmm. they would actually see the light of day. Um, these these restrictions hurt people a lot here. They um, and people never really forgave it. This the seventies were a very difficult time for the Czechoslovak people. Yeah, the Czechs have made a, quite a few movies about the Prague Spring and the especially after the after the collapse of communism, they kind of looked back and this was a you know pivotal, very important time in their in their history in the twentieth century. So um, yeah, they they it is it is recorded a lot in literature and movies and. Yeah, sometimes humorously, sometimes less so, but but well, it's it's a Czech Czech style of humor, which is right. self-effacing, a little dark, yeah, dark there, humor, there, like yeah, making yeah. fun of making light of suicide, and you know, because there there was a lot of yeah, obviously a lot of people were pretty unhappy about these changes, but um, you know, like I said, it had a huge cultural impact on the Czechs and Slovaks, but also beyond. Um, like when we talk about the Arab Spring, which we're basically you know this just the happened. recent Arab yeah. Spring, right? We're talking about. Um, 
the, you know, it, it's called that because it's kind of a, a com comparison to the Prague Spring, which is like a youth movement inspiring change, you know, student protesters. Starts that kind at of a thing. university and spreads out a little right, bit, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, um, um, yeah, and this, this kind of brings us back to Jan Palach. So, again, so, you know, it, it's... It's a very touching story, and, and so that's what kind of, this is kind of a Jan Palach sandwich here. But um, the reason we, we bring him up is because, uh, you know, basically in the end, even though it might have taken another 20 years, he didn't die in vain, okay? So when, when he set himself on fire in front of the museum, he didn't die right away. It, it took him a couple of days to, to die of his in injuries. In hospital, yeah. Right. And, and in fact, while he was laying in bed, like, there were some other students that were supposed to do it with him. And when they visited him in the hospital, he's like, don't do it. Like, it's not worth it. it. You know, it just, it hurts so bad. And, yeah. Well, if, if I can, I don't want to be morbid about this, but to, to understand the pain that this, this, this kid, he was a college kid, what, what pain he was in. I, I remember personally, when I was in the, in, in the hospital for, for some time uh, due to injuries, I was actually very close to uh, a, a child ward for burn unit in Philadelphia. And uh, the pain that is, that, the nurses have to put somebody through yeah. when you talk about burns. What that means is that you have to basically take the skin, the crust, crusted skin that's basically forming, and you got to scrub it off until you can get the better skin that comes up. And every time they're doing it, if you can imagine the pain that not only you're inflicting on somebody, but what, what maybe that other person's feeling. It's constant yeah. level of pain. Uh, morphine is, is almost mandatory in a lot of respects in the first few hours of, after these horrible burns. Um, so if you can imagine... That, uh, that this is what he was going through for the first few days before he passed away. Uh, mm -hmm. His mother was, was instrumental in being by his side and being the face of him when he was in the hospital and before he died, and especially afterwards during uh, the funeral arrangements. She was the, uh, the, the poor Czech mother that, that yeah. had to deal without a son, and that she became the face. Yeah, you know, and in, in fact, the the funeral of Palach turned into a major protest against the occupation. And, um, yeah, I mean... You know, he became the symbol, basically. And a month later, on the 25th of February, uh, 1969, another student, Jan Zaitz, burned himself to death in the same place, followed in April of the same year by Evgen Poletskin Yichlava. And so Palach was initially interned in Olshani Cemetery, uh, which in Czech is Olshanska Cemetery. It's on the Green Line. It's it's a, it's also where the veterans from World War II were buried. Like it's a it's a kind of really interesting. It's also the old. There's a World War One cemetery there, and there's the foreigners cemetery. So you get it's like one of Japanese. The biggest, it's one of the biggest cemeteries yeah. with with the, with the who's who. Uh, right. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, so so you get like Japanese buried. and Arabic and all kinds of you know. There's a there's an Orthodox section where the where the Russians are buried, um, but his. Uh, so he was there at first, but his gravesite was growing into this national shrine, more or less. And it got so important to the to the kind of counter-communist movement that the Czechoslovak secret police, they're the STB in Czech, um, they set out to destroy any memory of, of kind of his deeds and, and anything that he did or any memory of him. And they exhumed his remains on the night of the 25th of October in 73, and his body was then cremated and sent to his mother in his native town of Shetati. Um, so, and and then at the same time, an anonymous old woman from a rest home was laid in in his place in his in his grave in Olshanska. So, Palach's mother 
was not allowed to deposit the urn in the local cemetery until, I mean, she was eventually, but it, it, you know, it was like not until the next year or something in, in I think it's like 74. And then in 25th of October, 1990, so after the revolution, the urn was officially returned to its initial site in Prague, okay? But I said earlier he didn't die in vain, right? Right, right. This, this, and it, because uh, the protests in his memory of Jan Pollock, um, you know, was was a chance for for people to uh, criticize the regime. Uh, would it later be called Pollock's Week, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, the, the series of anti-communist demonstrations in Prague between the 15th and the 21st of January in 1989 were suppressed by the police, who beat the demonstrators and used water cannons mm -hmm. to disperse uh, disperse them out of the way. This Pollock Week was something remembered 20 years later, and and again, this did lay, you know lay the seeds for the Velvet Revolution. Of course, it ended much better than the Prague Spring. Palach Week happened every single year, but it is the week that started the Velvet Revolution. I mean, so it's, it's, it's a direct result in one way. After the Velvet Revolution in 1989, Palach, along with uh, Zilach, uh, was uh, commemorated in Prague by a bronze cross embedded by the spot where uh, they both fell outside the National Museum, as well as the square was named after them in their honor. This was also seen pretty strongly in the United States. Give you, of course, a time. I don't think I have to give you a time timeline on this one, but uh, we're talking 1969. We're talking about mass, massive sort of uh, counterculture, counterculture yeah. revolution protests. Not quite the weather underground just yet. Not militarized, but very peaceful at this point in the United States. They paid. Everybody paid attention to Jan Pollock at this point. Mm -hmm. This this was people crying out for freedom. Right, yep. and um, I think both sides of the argument against the Viet Vietnam course of action, trying to fight communism, and the people saying, you know, we need peace. I think they both had a, had uh, a person in Jan Pollock they could they could uh, to grasp. Here's a man trying to fight off the idea of communism that he'd give his life for it. Mm -hmm. All right, so that was probably the hawks in the United States, and the doves liked him because he did it without hurting anybody other than himself. Okay. Yeah, you see yeah. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, so I think uh, you know it it was about trying to make things happen. Uh, in a very difficult time in the world. Mm -hmm. 1969, 68 and 69 was a very heated time. I would like to end tonight's podcast with just, a, again, another personal remark. Um, listening to my wife talk to my seven-year-old son, who is American, and he is also Czech. He's 50-50, right? Mm -hmm. And listening to her explain Jan Pollock and what, why he set himself on fire to him, and also to my 14-year-old daughter. You know, it's you know, she's starting to learn this stuff in school here in the Czech Republic, but it's, it means something coming from, from their mother. And I'm listening to Lucy tell my kids, li listen to her basically, you know, tell them the importance of this act of, of putting yourself in, 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 a, in a really horrible situation, uh, burning yourself uh, alive, basically thinking that this is, I'm doing this for my people because these things are so difficult for my people to go through that, it, you know, it becomes a, you know, it becomes a hero story, a heroic story that people today still hold on to. And I, I equate it to when I tell my kids about the Civil Rights Movement, you know, um, you know about, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., um, you know, Reverend King, marching peacefully down the street with water cannons facing him, trying to, to bring change about what the American dream was supposed to be about, which was inclusion of everybody, for every man, for every, for, for every woman. And, and uh, to see that on the other side of the planet, pretty much close to the same time, you have you have people struggling for their same freedoms, and I think I want my kids to know both those histories, the American side and also the side of here in the Czech Republic. And I think I, I really just I take a mental image of, of of listening and watching my wife talk to my kids about that 
to see that it is that important to this day. To talk about Jan Pollock, of course, uh, is one part of the story to talk about the thousands of people that were stopping the tanks in Wichita Square, the people around the Republic that were caught by surprise, the reaction in Moscow, the reaction across the world, and the subsequent tightening of Soviet restrictions on the Czechoslovakian people um, are all part of this episode. And I think it's important to see that because it is part of the national discourse here still to this day. And uh, I'm, I'm glad we could bring this to you. It, it was very interesting history for me to, to research. And I think, Travis, you feel the same way. Yep. Thanks very much for uh, listening. Yep. Thanks. You have been listening to the Bohemican Podcast with Pete Coleman and Travis Doe. Visit bohemican.com for more information on this episode, other episodes, and much more information about history, traditions, and culture in the Czech Republic. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, and review, and don't forget to rate us. We would love to hear from you. Send comments, ideas, and corrections on our comments page on bohemican.com or get in touch via Facebook or Twitter. Tune in to our sister podcast, History of Alchemy, which is also on iTunes or on historyofalchemy.com. Until next time on the Bohemican Podcast, thank you for listening.